I, I really don't like the Northern Water Tribe. They're a little snooty. They're very I will snooty. say that. Well, they're about to be sooty, sooty. Oh, no. <laughs> I set you up for that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome to yet another super exciting, extraordinary, extravagant, a lot of, a lot of X's in, in this description. All the adjectives. Episode of Avatar, the podcast. I am Booster Greg, but I feel like you all already knew that. And I am joined by... Acorn Bandit. Hello, everyone. I was going to let him wait out a little bit and make him be like, oh, who could it be? Could it be Acorn Bandit? Could it be Bandit Acorn? That's just... that's just <laughs> The ripoff acorn? <laughs> the budget acorn? The budget acorn. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> this episode, we will be talking about episode 19, The Siege of the North, part one, or as we like to call it. Everyone hates Han. It's true. Everyone does. Before we dive into the episode, we have yet another, and this is going to be, I think, the third. The third. The third Appa Pin giveaway winner to pull and announce. I'm so excited. I get excited. to push the button again. I'm she, so excited. She gets to push the button again, and I just sit here, live vicariously <laughs> through the button pushing. All right. And our third winner of the Appa Pin giveaway <gasps> is... Morgan. Morgan. Oh my goodness. Or should I say, wish I might, who oh. has tweeted us two times now. Wow. I'm so excited that she won. That's amazing. Congratulations. Congratulations. Wish I might. And the answer to our question, who out of the cast of Avatar The Last Airbender would be the best cook and why? Wish I might writes, Iroh, duh. His food would always be cooked with love and friendship in mind. It's an indisputable fact of nature that food cooked with love as its main ingredient is the best food. Iroh also pays attention to flavor and his friends, so he'll know what they like and don't like. That's so true. Wow. What a well thought out answer. That is so true. Also, on that note, if Iroh does not go into the fortune cookie business with his baking skills... <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. He's not as wise as I thought because that's just money making right there. Oh my gosh. Easy money. Easy money. And he, he could go out of out of the cookie realm. He could maybe go into cupcakes or he can go into, I don't know, what else is there? Regular cakes and muffins. Like, oh, tea cakes. He can make tea oh, cakes. Oh, tea cakes. Yeah. Actually, I want a muffin now. It's probably because I have muffins baking right now. No. Oh God. I want a cake right now. I want so, everything right now. So with just food, yeah, please. Yeah. Thank you. Made by Iro. <laughs> <laughs> Again, congratulations. congratulations. I am so excited yes. that you won, especially since we have seen a couple of your tweets come through. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be sending you an email very shortly asking for a shipping address so we can ship you your pen. Oh, by the way, if you have ordered an Appa pen or if you won one from the one one, that's a weird sentence. Or if you... <laughs> are the lucky winner of one of these wonderful pins. That's a lot of extra words just to not come up with a sentence that's one one. You're doing great. Thanks. <laughs> Please take a picture of it out in the wild 
and tweet at us because we want to see them. I want to see what they're, all the yeah. little sky bisons are doing. Here's Yeah, exactly. Here's some homework for all you winners. Yeah. If you can go out into the wild and safely social distance and find someplace cool to put your pin and take a picture for us, mm-hmm. that would be amazing. We would love that. All right. So with all that, we're just going to jump right into it because I cannot wait to talk about the last episode or the last two episodes of book one. I can't believe we're here. This is amazing. I'd never thought we would get this far. And I know we have still have quite a lot to go through, but this feels yes. like the beginning of a large just bookmark in in our journey so far. Yeah, it's a milestone. Yes, like, that's it's a better word. It's a, actually a feat. And I didn't think this far ahead. I think this oftentimes happens with creative projects. You're so excited about starting. Mm-hmm. You don't think about getting to like the first milestone or what's going to come in the future. So here we are. And we're just like, wow, here we are. Here we are. I try not to think about the future at all. (laughs) That's my secret to life. Live in the present. Live in the present. All right. Book one, chapter 19, The Siege of the North, part one. This episode was written by John O'Brien and it was directed by Lauren McMullen. All is quiet in the Northern Water Tribe as the calming waters flow through the canals. Katara is sparring with a young man named Sung Hook, who tries his best to remain calm and focused, but his stance is shaky. Katara smirks. She knows she's got this. Sung Hook bends the water around him into an ice ball, which Katara then melts down back into water and redirects it into a wave, which she then freezes. Nice try, pupil Sangok. A couple more years and you might be ready to fight a sea sponge. Master Paku walks in front of his pupil and releases him from the ice wave. Now, fun fact, this sea sponge uh, little line here is a reference to SpongeBob. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because it was on the air at around the same time in the same channel. I, I can see that. I personally found that it was a, a reference to the translation, but I like this duality here. There's yeah. layers because it's on Nickelodeon, so yes. obviously SpongeBob. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read that the, the name Sengok is a literal translation of third individual oh. or what the production business calls extra number three. <laughs> so... <laughs> I love that third wheel. That's funny. It can also be a variation of the Japanese word sango for coral, mm-hmm. which would make sense yeah. because it seems to be an indirect reference to Master Paku's comment about him being ready to fight a sea sponge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I would love to see, just a side note here, I would love to see an episode or maybe a three-part episode starring Sangok and just where like he's always just the odd man out, the extra person. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be really fun. That'd be amazing. Would anyone care for a rematch with Katara? All of Paku's students avoid eye contact with their master, and most are already covered in snow from their previous match. Paku praises Katara about how she's advanced quicker than anyone else he's ever trained, and how her determination, passion, and hard work will allow her to accomplish anything. Told you so. He then turns to Aang who is lying on the ground, generating an air scooter for Momo to play with. And then, so then Baku looks back at Katara and is just like, yeah, raw talent isn't enough. It's uh, it's all this extra stuff that's really kind of making you go through it. That one moment is so reminiscent of Imprisoned. Yes. Like he was sitting behind the rock, just like shooting a whirlwind at a butterfly. Paku then turns to the young airbender and asks if he would like to spar. Since he's assuming he's already mastered waterbending with all this free time he has to play with pets. That's that's such a classic teacher line. 
I think I all of us have gotten that from our teachers at one point in time. I assume you know all of your multiplication tables because you're sitting there drawing, Greg. Yes. Yeah, just put me in front of the smart guy in the class or behind the smart guy in the class, and then I'll just memorize what he tells you. <laughs> it's easy. That's how you do it. Anyways, I'm such a bad influence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing this. But you know, Sokka would do the same. Yeah. It's it's it just works smarter, not harder. <laughs> Anyways, I wouldn't say mastered, but check this out. Aang says as he bends the snow around him to create a snowman disguise, which Momo tackles to the ground. Paku shakes his head as Katara looks at the ground, trying not to scold her friend in front of their master. Katara looks so disappointed. <laughs> She's like disappointed, embarrassed, kind of angry, yeah. like all these emotions in her face right, right there. I was like, yeesh. Meanwhile, Sokka and Yue walk the streets of the city while talking about the differences between their two tribes. Yue is shocked to hear that there are no palaces in the southern tribe, and Sokka half jokes about how we grew up on a block of ice. Yue and Sokka laugh together, but when Sokka looks at the princess after she places her hand on his shoulder, the laughter stops. Sokka, this is wrong, Yue says. What's wrong? We're taking a walk. Yue begins to feel guilty about her feelings towards Sokka because she's already engaged to another. Sokka then jumps to his feet because he knows exactly what Yue needs. She needs to meet his good friend, Appa. I can't believe they haven't met or she hasn't met Appa yet. They've been there for a while and... That's actually one of my points because mm -hmm. I forget at what specific point, but it's in these two scenes somewhere. We see an image of the moon in the sky and it's almost full. If we reference back to the phase we see in the water bending master, which was very much like a crescent moon. I looked at the moon phases. This is yep. how far I go in my research. Mm -hmm. We can estimate that Team Avatar has been in the North Pole for about three weeks now because that's the length of time between the two phases. So this also means Katara's progress is even more impressive because yeah. she can now swiftly bend water through one state to another during combat, which is something Paku did in his fight against her. And it's also, like I mentioned before, the mark of a waterbending master, someone who can utilize all the forms of water in one fight. So basically, right at this point, Yue is feeling kind of guilty that she has such strong feelings for Sokka. Sokka's like, all right, I know what you need. A magic carpet. I mean, you need to meet my friend Appa. <laughs> so the two walk over to the stables where Appa is resting. When she sees Sokka, or when Appa sees Sokka, he pounces on his personal groomer slash toe cleaner and licks him repeatedly. <laughs> Looks like you haven't been giving Appa enough attention, Yue jokes and laughs as Sokka tries to free himself from under Appa. Moments later, the two friends, quote unquote, that's in big parentheses right there. Big, big uh, quotation mark parentheses. They're friends. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, you fool no one, Yue and Sokka. Anyways, they're <laughs> I get very wrapped up in this this relationship. And I don't even ship them. I know. That moment when you introduce your friend yeah. to your best friend. Yep, yep. That's that's this. So uh, these two, anyways, these two friends are finally sitting on Appa's saddle. Sokka holds the reins and asks if Yue is ready. She nods and... I love this. I love this delivery. Yep. Yep. Like he does oh this like God. slick, like I look at, I got this. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, like a so cool bad. guy moment. Yes, yes, yes. And they take off and Sokka can show you the, I mean, wait, no, sorry. <laughs> That's a different thing. Anyways, the two share the briefest of moments and almost kiss. Sokka is the one to back away though, because he knows that his true love 
is actually Suki and not Yue. I'm going to be bold. Oh, really? That. Is that what was going on that's in the what, episode? That, that, that's what was going on right there. It's not that he was being <laughs> a good guy and knowing that she's already engaged and he wants to respect that. That's part of it. But mostly he's already met his true love. So sorry, everyone. Yeah. You know, they were over the ocean and mm-hmm. he was looking down at the water mm-hmm. and thinking of Kyoshi Island and how he and Suki had these memorable moments together. Yeah, obviously. Yep, that was it. That was it. So anyway, Sokka tries to play it cool, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden we start to see like these white snowflakes start to turn to gray and black. And Sokka immediately knows what this means. The black snow falls upon the city as its inhabitants look up in confusion. And then this is something I want to bring up between the white and the black snowflakes is it's very much reminiscent in this episode of like the yin yang balance. Yeah. This is like the first I think the first visual that we saw, there's a lot of not duality, but there, there is a lot of like two part things going on, not only in this, these two part episodes, but also, which I think also adds another layer to why this yeah. is a two part episode, not just because it's a big finale, but I think it's another way to really show black and white, yin, yin and yang, day and night, yes. water and fire. Duality, I think is, is a good word for it. There's also maybe binary, the concept of binaries, like day, night, male, yeah. female, like opposites. Yeah. I think duality has a little more nuance though for that. Yeah, that's fair too. Yeah. And there's also a uh, spirit world and physical world. Yeah. There's so many just like things going on here. So many pairs, so many opposite sides of the same coin. The soot though, that yeah. I loved that because not only was it a realistic nod to what would happen with a coal fueled fleet of ships going through the Arctic with the cold air, like obviously soot would be traveling through the air and falling down. But I mean, it's a realistic nod, but then it also narratively adds another layer with Sokka having seen this as a child when the Fire Nation attacked his tribe. So I can only imagine the probably sinking feeling in his gut when he realizes, I know what this means and I yeah. know what's coming. We rejoin Aang and Momo as Aang is rolling in circles around the wing lemur. Momo eats one of the black snowflakes and then coughs immediately afterwards. This causes Aang to stop his rolling and looks to the sky. And, and this is fun if because I watched these episodes, and I think we both watched these episodes multiple times, I noticed on my last watch through that he is almost the last one to notice this change. Everyone else is already looking to the sky in his area, and he's just like, what's this? That kind of goes along with what we've been saying about his character, how he sometimes or he tends to avoid things and uh, not run away, but you know what I mean? He's like very yeah. avoidant of responsibility and acknowledging certain things. Oh, yeah, for sure. The black snowflakes, as we already said, are soot. We cut back to Sokka and Yue, who have landed since the black snow appeared. I've seen this before, right before my village was attacked. It's soot mixed with snow. The young warrior continues. It's the Fire Nation. They've closed in on the North Pole. And from the looks of this stuff, I'd say there's a lot of them. Sokka is right. A fleet of Fire Nation ships approaches the Northern Water Tribe, and leading the fleet is none other than everyone's favorite butt-kisser, Admiral Zhao, <laughs> and his trusty sidekick, General Iroh. I love the, this this dynamic that they have. Yes, I do too. And obviously, we're happier to see Iroh than yeah. we are Zhao. Oh yeah, for sure. So at this point, Zhao monologues to Iroh, which I'm going to spare everyone the long-winded speech, but it basically just says that how he's going to be in the history books and how the history books will tell the tale of the mighty Zhao and how he will be studied for what happens in this city. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, bomb, 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 bomb. 
I'm the best. <laughs> I'm the greatest in the world. I'm so good. No one has mutton chops quite like mine. <laughs> Iroh turns his speech on its head and tells the Admiral to be careful what he wishes for and that history is not always kind to its subjects, which is super true, especially because history is usually written by the victors and can be easily distorted. But that's another rant for another podcast. Anyways, Zhao doesn't exactly like this comment, but then takes his turn and smirks while saying that he understands that Ira speaks from experience and assures the general that this will be nothing like his failure over at Ba Sing Se. Ooh, what a burn. I hope not for your sake, Ira says under his breath, because he knows exactly what his brother is like. And what his brother does with failure. Mm-hmm. Around this point, uh, I think there's a shot of the front of like the city. And mm-hmm. last episode, we talked about how the fortified position of the Northern Water Tribe makes it really protected against attacks like this. And I read that prior to the Hundred Year War, the capital city, which apparently is called Agna Kela, was an open port city that was accessible to any visitors. However, when the Fire Nation declared war on the water tribes, a thick wall of ice was erected at the mouth of the city as a means to keep the Fire Nation out of the Northern Water Tribe. And when the war began, the Northern Water Tribe became increasingly isolated as a result, cutting off most of its contact with the outside world and eventually losing touch with the Southern Water Tribe itself. And so this is the first time that the Fire Nation has amassed such an invasion force against the Northern Water Tribe, because otherwise they've been pretty much left alone because they're so fortified against the cliffs and the tundra and the poor Southern Water Tribe. Not so much. Yeah, really. They were easily attacked. So moments later, Ira finds his nephew, who is still in disguise as a low-level Fire Nation soldier. Iroh informs Zuko that they will be landing soon and asks if he has a plan. I'm working on it, uncle. Zuko puts his mask back on and the two go in their opposite ways. The drums of war begin to beat as the inhabitants of the Northern Water Tribe run towards Town Hall. We see Sokka and Yue running up the stairs, holding hands so they won't be separated during all of this. But Yue stops them halfway up the staircase and takes the opportunity to break up with Sokka. But they're not even together. How can they be breaking up? I know. I know. You know, I remember the love story between Yue and Sokka being a lot more involved when I was younger. And I think what happened is I filled in the rest of their story in my head and probably formed a bit of a headcanon around that time Mm -hmm. or the time that they don't show in the episode. So in my head, I was like, yeah, they probably did this and that and they met up and developed all these feelings for each other. But now watching it without that headcanon I developed as a teenager, their love story does fall a little flat for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Same thing for me back then. Same thing for me right now. They all they did is really walk around the city. Yeah. <laughs> which like is like kind of a date, I guess, but also not because she makes a very distinct like lying in the snow and she's just like this is not a date it's like okay fine they're just yeah. friends so i feel like there's some stuff that happened that they didn't show us but oh yeah well i mean it's been like almost a month so i'm yeah. sure there is yeah exactly yeah. uh so anyway so they're running up the stairs Yue stops them and essentially just breaks up with Sokka. Sokka protests that they're just they're just friends but Yue tells him that even being friends is just too confusing for her she's engaged after all Sokka realizes that Yue doesn't even like her new fiancé, never mind love him, 
But then Yue tells him that she does love her people and how this is her duty to not only them, but also her father. And she does that like typical like, ah, and then runs away. Like, I can't, I can't even. And just like scurries away. I I really don't like this trope in female characters. It's it's very much the Twilight kind of like scenario for me where I'm like, not that I've ever seen or read or watched anything of Twilight, but my understanding of what Twilight is. It's just like yeah. her being You're like, thinking of the fluffy, vapid type yeah. of stuff like we can't be together. Ah, and then dramatic runaway. Yes. Yes. And everything's just like uh, it's just overly dramatic. Every little bit of it. It's like, yeah, whatever. Anyways, we immediately cut to inside town hall where Arnook is giving a speech about how the Fire Nation is right at their doorsteps and not everyone will survive the encounter. He then prays that the ocean and moon spirits be with them during this time and then asks for volunteers. Several water tribe men approach the chief, including Sokka. As each of the volunteers accept the mark of the chief, which, by the way, quick aside, is very similar to the mark that everyone received back in Bato of the water tribe. It's like that same ceremonial, like with the same like forehead paint and stuff like that. Yeah. It is only when Sokka accepts the mark that Yue begins to tear up but she manages not to let her emotions go further than that. She is obviously upset that she may lose the love of her life. Notice real quick that I said love of her life, not of his life or their lives, because I've already said it before. I'm not going to say it again. This will be the last time I talk about it. Sokka and Suki. (laughs) Sokka and Suki forever. Forever and ever and ever Uh, and uh, ever. I will say that that moment where she's like lifting her chin and trying to force back the tears that I vaguely remember thinking like that was the confirmation of all of the headcanon I'd built up. It's like, wow, she really does care for him. And she's really upset. And this is a really dramatic, emotionally charged moment. All that time I thought I spent thinking about the show. It's like, all right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So outside of the meeting, Aang is perched and watching the waters. Chief Arnook steps outside and joins the Avatar, telling him that the stillness before battle is unbearable. Aang notes that he wasn't there when the Fire Nation attacked his people, but he will be making a difference this time. Man, that moment, yeah. that, that hit hard for me, especially after we've deep dived into Aang's character in his past. Mm. I had like a really bittersweet moment at this part, knowing or realizing that Aang's here. This is his moment. He's actually here for this battle against the Fire Nation, even though he wasn't there last time when right. they came for the the air temples but yeah yeah that definitely kind of like hit for me as well i still wonder and i think we'll explore this on the next episode i still wonder if he would have made a difference at that point in his avatar career back then but anyways he's determined at this point there a difference will be made by him no matter what the battle is about to begin as team avatar and the soldiers of the northern water tribe are gathered at the front wall. Off in the distance, the first Fire Nation ship comes into view and strikes the front wall with a fireball. Now, these are, I believe, the same fireballs that we saw in the beginning of the season. I don't remember what episode it was, um, yes, but they're trash I want balls. To say I call them trash, yeah, the trash, trash poop, balls. The trash poop, poop rags. That's what I, I think them. it was Winter Solstice Part 2, Avatar Roku, because they were going that to the sense. Crescent, yeah, Crescent Island. So it's that same like technology. So I like that they're reusing this. It, it yeah. adds to the world building. It's not just like, oh, we're just going to shoot fire, giant fireballs from our hands. No, they've already established this. It's being reused for every every creator that is sitting there listening to this at home. This 
is what adds to world building. Yeah. Right here. Be careful with the blasting jelly. <laughs> Be careful with the blasting jelly. I love that line <laughs> so much to this to this moment. Um, so they shoot off the fireball. The fireball connects to the front wall, and everyone that is on the wall is sent flying back. I don't know how they all survive this, but you know they do. Yeah. More fireballs are unleashed onto the city from the same ship, and the the destruction begins. Yip yip. Ang jumps on Appa and flies towards the single ship which tries to take down the Avatar with a fireball, but it is easily misdirected by the Avatar. Aang jumps off of Appa and then uses his glider to land safely on the Fire Nation ship and immediately airbends several soldiers away when he lands. Aang uses the lesson he learned. So this is my interpretation of this. Aang uses the lesson he learned from his fight with Zhao, and instead of really kind of like going into full assault mode, he kind of uses the war hammers that the fire nation soldiers are using against their own technology. So they're all trying to hit him and he's just dodging it. And they're like doing enough damage on the catapults to, for Aang to very easily dismantle them, which I thought was really cool. I like that interpretation. So he took his lesson that he learned from fighting Zhao in the deserter. The deserter. Yeah. Where he redirected Zhao's firepower and used it to, destroy the ships he's essentially using that same i guess approach where he's using the fire nation's might or the fire nation's weapons Mm -hmm. against them Mm -hmm. and in the end crippling them yep and he still has to like this is a less extreme version of when he fought zhao in the deserter because and didn't lift a single muscle other than to dodge zhao did all the destruction and this he still has to kind of push things along a little bit but it's definitely yeah. like that same lesson being coming coming into play. And Aang is even kind of laughing as he's doing it. He's always smiling. He's being a little goofy goober. And he's like, it's another SpongeBob reference for everyone out there. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but he's like, you know, he's like tying chains together and he's just having a good time. It's almost like Spider-Man-esque as well. Like he's just having fun with it. Yeah. He does have that lighthearted approach yeah. that Spider-Man does. Yeah. yeah. I did think it was interesting how the Fire Nation soldiers are wearing a different uniform here. They're almost like... I want to say barbarian, but that's not yes. quite the word. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? And I, that's 100% how I, I read it, is barbarian. Yeah. My interpretation or my headcanon, there's a lot of ships that we'll see later on. I tried yeah. to count them. I gave up in a screenshot. So I just put the screenshot in our show notes. <laughs> but I want to say there's probably 100 ships. So I would imagine that at some point, now this is the, the clerk's scenario, they just outsource some of that or they hire mercenaries. Oh. So they, and what, what do you do if you have mercenaries? They're going to be the more expendable of, of the, all the forces. So that's why it's the first ship being thrown out there is you guys are expendable. We don't care about you. You're hired help. Go yeah. do this. And then they want to see kind of what happens. And then all of the properly trained soldiers will come up behind that. I like that. Okay. That, that was kind of for me why they look different and why they look more rugged and they, they do look very rough around the edges is because they're not actually soldiers. And I, I looked into it briefly, didn't see anything definitive. So if someone listening knows exactly what's going on in that scene and yeah. why they look different from your normal Fire Nation soldier, let us know. All right. So Ang seems to be winning this fight. And like I said, he's got that smile on his face and I, I say he's using mischief as his main attack when a burly soldier takes two warhammers attached to chains and binds Aang to the last catapult. Luckily, Appa joins the battle and, I love this, Appa just like 
picks up this like burly, like he's this, like super burly looking dude and just throws very slowly because Appa's not very fast on the ground. Yeah. Just like tosses him overboard. Into the drink. In right into the yar, into the drink you go. <laughs> Aang jumps on Appa's forehead and hugs his friend and thanks him for the save. The ship is then pierced by ice as the water tribe soldiers take the final blow on the ship. Aang and Appa take to the sky to see the rest of the fleet approaching. And there has to be, I'm going to say, at least 100 ships approaching. So yeah, it's I, a lot. I took a screenshot of it. I counted the first row, and that's 30. Oh, my gosh. So 30 times, like, five? Maybe. I see roughly, like, five uh, rows there. But that's also, it goes off into the horizon. Yeah, so it, it disappears. Disappears. So I don't even Yikes. know. Yeah, I, I give up. I'm sorry. I gave up counting that after i was like that's more than 30 that's way more than 30 <laughs> that's too many yeah i don't think i don't think that ice wall is gonna do much guys mm, sorry mm, yeah oh speaking of ice though yeah that moment where the waterbenders um bend water up under the ship and like launches it in the air a little bit i feel like i've seen that before i think we've seen mm-hmm. that before where could we have seen that could it have been the very first episode where that's what they did in what was that 80 years ago, 75 years ago? That was yeah. the main form of attacking the Fire Nation. I also like, and we're going to see this directly in the next scene, the Water Nation, or the Water Nation, the Water Tribes have successfully avoided the Fire Nation for 85 years. So their tactics haven't changed. Again, this is great world building right here. Some of their beliefs towards the Fire Nation hasn't changed, and we see that in Sokka. Yes. And also, what they think the Fire Nation wears as uniforms also has not changed. Yeah. So in the next scene, we have Arnook talking, and he says, Men, you'll be infiltrating the Fire Nation Navy. That means you'll all need one of these uniforms. I'm, I'm sorry. That was, I had a moment right there. Yeah. I was like hearing Sokka addressing the children of his tribe yeah. in yeah. that moment. Men, we're going <laughs> off to war. Going to war. <laughs> We're back in the city at this point, and Arnuk informs the volunteers of their mission. When a young man named Han walks into the room wearing the uniform, Sokka bursts out laughing and tells the chief that the Fire Navy uniforms don't look anything like that. Han scoffs and tells Sokka, um, actually, these were taken from the actual Fire Nation. This is what he sounds like in my head. <laughs> actually. Actually, these were taken from actual fire nation soldiers thank you except he's such a dude bro it's like uh, it's like uh actually bro uh actually bro (laughs) (laughs) bro these were taken from actual fire nation soldiers i don't know where you're getting your information from but it's not accurate (laughs) (laughs) so Sokka goes like when when did you get these like a hundred years ago and then i love this arnook straight faced no no emotion it's just like 85 (laughs) He's like, he sees the error and he just answers anyway. Yeah. 85. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's never, again, it's never dawned on them that things have changed in 85 years because yeah. this also speaks to the Northern Water Tribe as much as anything else. They haven't changed in 85 years. There you go. So it's very interesting. They haven't had to think about it. You yeah. know, they haven't had to think about their misogyny and the infrastructure mm-hmm. of the society and the different the divide between the genders because no one really questioned it until Katara came to town and was like, this sucks. Yeah. And same thing. They haven't had to worry about the fire nation. So they've just left these 
Fire Nation uniforms lying around. It's like, they'll come in handy someday, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they've also just been so walled off from the rest of the world. Yeah. Pun absolutely intended that <laughs> they don't see their ways changing. So they assume no one else's ways changing because they hold themselves yeah. to that higher regard. So that I found super interesting about the society. Anyways, uh, Sokka then tells the group of the changes that have been made over the past 85 years. Han tries to pull rank on Sokka and asks if they should even trust this newbie. The two immediately butt heads and growl at each other. Sokka is from our sister tribe, Han. He's a capable warrior, and I value his input. Sokka shoots Han a smug look. Arnuk turns to the rest of the troops and tells them that their first objective is to determine the identity of their commanding officer. His name is Zhao, middle-aged, big <laughs> sideburns, bigger temper. Sokka traces sideburns on his own face to illustrate how ridiculous they are. <laughs> Sokka, I want you to tell everything you know to Han. He's leading this mission. Han, show Sokka your respect. Before Arnok walks away, he looks at Han and says, I expect nothing less from my future son-in-law. Sokka's jaw just falls to the floor at this point. It does. And he's just like, this jerk face is UA's fiance? Yeah, what of it? Hold on. <clears throat> yeah, what of it? That's my dude, bro voice. Bruh. Bruh, bro, what of it? What do you got a problem <laughs> now, bro? Han asks and Sokka congratulates the soon-to-be chief under his breath. Okay. All right. Couple things here. Mm -hmm. First of all, the most obvious one. Mm -hmm. How the heck was Han chosen for UA? This this dude, bro, is going to be the chief. If he yep. marries UA, yep. like why? Well, it's because of uh, geopolitical, not geopolitical. They're not worldwide political, sociopolitical, sociopolitical uh, things that Sokka is just not smart enough to understand. Things and stuff. Things and stuff. You know, <laughs> big words. Yeah. Oh, man, that that makes me mad. That guy sucks. Second thing yeah. is I love how Han is like, actually, <laughs> this is the real deal. Like, we're going to infiltrate the Fire Nation like so easy because this is their actual uniform and really Sokka's the one with all the knowledge yep. just because of his exploits just because yeah. of the adventures they've had around the world so it's like here's our uniforms um no sorry it's not gonna work they don't look like that anymore <laughs> all right man we gotta identify their officer uh his name is Zhao <laughs> <laughs> I've met him a couple times he sucks couple times too. he's he a sucks. jerk he sucks too you two would get along Han and Zhao Han and Zhao my god Zhao would eat Han for breakfast I know I know I'm so excited for that. Anyways, okay. <clears throat> Back outside, the Fire Nation Navy is fast approaching the city, and the Northern Water Tribe is having difficulty stopping the fireballs when they attack. The city is on the brink of destruction. The tide of battle is not in their favor. Yeah, because it's still daytime, right? Yeah. On Zhao's ship, Iroh reminds the Admiral that it's almost twilight, and he advises that they halt their attack for the night since waterbenders draw their power from the moon they will be nearly unstoppable oh i'm well aware of the moon problem and i'm working on a solution but for now daybreak it is zhao says as he watches the city from his ship Ugh, diabolical i love hate zhao so much i do so much he's just such a good villain and you don't get a lot of those you really don't he's not super fleshed out like the others are because we don't really know his backstory we right. don't really know what you know all those idiosyncrasies to his personality are we just know he's hell-bent on conquering like the way that that's portrayed his single-minded approach to things just mm -hmm. trying to defeat the avatar bring glory to himself and his name like it's such a good driving force and it's relatable or yeah, at least yeah. 
believable, you know? Yeah. The big thing too is again, this illustrates his patience. We saw yeah, the first too. time the first time we met him, he was very patient with things. Um yeah. it's it's only in the deserter where he goes into this blind rage mode where he gets impatient and just starts lashing out at Aang because he's right in his grasp, right? Yeah. Do you think that was also because his master was there? So he let his his temper get the best of him? I, he was like trying to prove himself. I think that Zhao is very self-aware of himself enough to the point where he knows that he's actually impatient. And when he's of calm mind and it's not in the heat of battle, he can actually just kind of like take a step outside of himself and say, this is where we need to wait, Zhao. There's nothing crazy going on right now. If we wait tomorrow, we can do this. But when he's in the heat of battle, he's primarily working on instinct at that point. Yeah. And his instincts okay. are just go, 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 go. Like it, in no, a fight, like that. in a fight or flight scenario, he is fight where Iroh is flight if he needs yes. to be. Iroh likes to create that space so he can right. plan and prepare. But you're right. I, I mean, we even see that in this episode later mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Zhao, when he is in the moment, he gets a little hot headed and he sometimes acts impulsively. Yep. So I like that distinction. Good yeah. catch. Thanks. If there's one thing I'll catch, it's Zhao's state of mind. <laughs> While I can. Back at the city, Yue notes that the ships have stopped firing. Aang and Appa rejoin Katara and Yue. He has lost his hope for winning the battle. While he was out there, he took out maybe a dozen or more ships, and they just keep on coming. When Yue notes that he has to fight, he's the Avatar after all, and corrects her and says that he's just a kid and buries his head in his arms as Katara kneels next to him attempting to comfort her friend. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting how Yue doesn't really understand what it means to be the Avatar. Yeah, It's everything that the legends say. It's a generational entity. It brings balance and, you know, it's very powerful. It can solve problems. I don't think she understands how it manifests, I guess, because she doesn't seem to connect the dots with like, it's Aang. He's a kid. And yes, he's the Avatar, but he's also not like the master of all elements and all of these crazy things. There's also a scene later where she seems surprised by him going into a spirit meditation, too. So mm. I just think it's funny. Yeah. A lot of people in this world seem to know very much about the Avatar, but then Yue or the Northern Water Tribe doesn't really. Well, Maybe I it's mean, an indication of their isolated state. But also, I think it's an indication of the tales of the avatar and the legend of the avatar versus the reality, because why would she think any different? She has been brought up with the belief that the avatar is going to unite the world is going to bring balance to the force. I mean, to the spirit world and to the <laughs> physical world, as well as all the elements, like it's a superhero essentially. So yeah, she's not thinking about the person behind the superhero or the person in the superhero. She's just thinking like, Oh, this person is going to come save everything and that's just this person's job. So when Aang is sitting here being like, I can't do this, she's confused because she's like, but you're the avatar. I don't understand. This is your job. It's kind of like, what if your waiter came up to you and you gave your order and he all of a sudden he just sat down and put his hands in his arms and said, I'm sorry, I can't take your order. That It's that like, yeah. you're like, this is your job. What do you mean you can't take my order? You literally have one thing to do. Take my order. Yeah, Th that's one, how one thing weigh. to do. Save the world. Yeah, this is all you have to do is master all the elements, be the bridge between the spirit and the physical world. I don't understand why you can't do this because she's not viewing him as the child that he is currently. Yeah, 
She's yeah. viewing him as yeah. the avatar, which was Roku was the last one, right? It was Roku. Yes. And he's just like wise Mr. Miyagi like type, like super awesome, badass, just everything. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't talk about this. It's very large shoes to fill for Aang. It actually is. Yes. And I want to say in book three, we get to see some of Roku's backstory and how he became the avatar that he was. And it's, let me boil it down for you. He spends basically his whole life training and practicing and meditating and becoming better. So, you know. That seems about right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So day turns to night as Zuko prepares a small rowboat in secret. Iroh joins his nephew and notes that if he is fishing for octopus, he needs a tightly woven net because an octopus will only slip through the rope his nephew is winding. I just want to talk about this defense mechanism that Iroh has built up really quickly. Because so when I first heard that line, I thought he was making a joke, but it's a joke wrapped in advice. So like there's this super serious thing going on and Iroh is talking about fishing for octopi. Yeah. Which is kind of humorous. So he has this like very serious moment and his first, his gut reaction is to, give wacky advice. I took it as an adage only because he does tend to do that. He like gives advice through sayings or I would say proverbs, but I think that's a little bit more religious. But yeah, just adage advice. Like if you if you seek to catch an octopus, be sure to use the net instead of a rope. Yeah. Or something, you know? What we find out here, and I don't even have a good way to write this or say this because this scene is just so powerful, powerful for me personally. So I'm just going to kind of say it as it is Zuko tells him he doesn't need his wisdom right now and um, Iroh tries to like wisdom his way through this next part where he draws this parallel between his own son who died and Zuko and he even mentions ever since Zuko's cousin or Iroh's son died he's always viewed Zuko as a son to him and is really close I think this is difficult for Iroh to no, I know this is difficult for Iroh to talk about because he starts. This is the first and only time we see him choking up. Yes, like he can hardly get these words out, and, and actually telling telling Zuko his feelings because yeah. he tends to show his love and care through actions and not mm-hmm. words, or or even just very subtle words. Yes, like we talked about uh, during the Agni Kai, yeah. where he tells. Zuko that he's honorable, but not directly to his face. Yeah. It's a very indirect yes. shares his his emotions yeah. and his thoughts. But yeah, this was very direct for him. Yeah. And it was very so that's why I think it's a defense mechanism because he doesn't want to, whether it's humor or an adage or what, he's relying on this crutch to allow him to start this conversation of please take care of yourself. I don't know if I'll ever see you again. So this is how yeah. I feel. And that just like really hit me hard. I think that was my interpretation too, because you're right. It it seemed like he started the conversation by giving this piece of wisdom or advice or an adage or whatever about catching octopi. But then he, you're right. I can almost see him struggling and then finally wearing himself down and then just saying what he's actually thinking. Because yeah. you're right. I, I can imagine he's watching his nephew get into a boat and go into a war field, a war mm-hmm. zone. Mm-hmm. And he is probably realizing there is a chance he may never see him again. So this is it. Yeah. By the way, this scene here, as well as a couple other with Zuko and Iroh, 110 million percent have me convinced 
that they've been planning this, including the pirates blowing up that ship since, what was that, last episode? Yeah. I, I You can't convince me otherwise now. Like before, like, so we're on the Discord, right? Uh, we're on the Geek Gen Discord. And like, you know, we talk about the episodes and stuff. We mark them as spoilers. So if you ever want to join in, please do so. Yeah. And then Rob, who, or the Rob Logan, who is the head and founder of the Geek Generation podcast network and stream team was just like, yeah, Greg, I don't know. I think like, I think that once Zuko survived, then they kind of concocted this plan, right? And I think that that was your point of view as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. They had to convince Zhao that Zuko is dead and they couldn't have it be a hit that Iroh puts out on behalf of someone else. It has to come from Zhao directly. Otherwise, Zhao is going to be very suspicious of the death. Yeah. Okay. I can see what you're saying. Um, And I mean, to your point, if I hop into your shoes and your perspective and play off of that assumption, it would make the gravity of this scene make a lot more sense because it if you think about it through that lens, this feels like the end of the plan. Like yeah. everything came together and we've reached this moment and this is very momentous. And I'm going to share my my thoughts and feelings because this could be it. We don't know what's going to happen next mm. because this is the end of the plan. Like we've reached it. Now it's yeah. up to you. Yeah. Go off and, and capture the avatar and win the day. Yep. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know if I'm convinced, but I do see where there would be support for your theory. I also fully understand that I put way too much, um, way too many eggs in the Iroh basket of his <laughs> intelligence. I'm fully aware yeah. of that. It's definitely like a Batman scenario for me where it's like, but he thought of that before. So now he's doing this. I know yeah. that. I, everyone's probably thinking that. I understand that and I accept that. But that's just yeah. where but my I like head's that. at. Thanks. I like that you showed me something I've never considered before that I feel is could be possible. Who knows? If you say enough things that are out of left field, eventually people will agree with you on one of them. <laughs> well, don't don't undermine your theory now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's one. That's not one of my crazier ones, but that's one that I truly um, I, I will I will stay on this hill. I don't yeah. know if I'll die on it, but I'll stay on it for a while. <laughs> okay. All right. So this next part I love because as Zuko is lowering the boat into the water, Iroh is just like giving that nagging advice of just like, oh my God. cover He's your such ears, a don't get cold. Remember your fire breath, you know, do all this stuff. Remember, like give the apple to your teacher. And, yeah, and don't Z- talk to strangers. Don't talk to strangers. Look both ways before you cross the road. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, my heart. <laughs> I know. I'll be fine, the prince says, somewhat annoyed. We join Sokka and Han having that stereotypical locker room chatter, which I dislike yeah. entirely. Oh, yeah. As they sharpen their weapons, Han brags about how many girls he's courted in the past, and Yue is deaf the finest. <laughs> I don't know about you, bro, but this princess, she's not in another castle. I hate him so much. I hate him. I hate how he's worse in my head, too. Anyways, but so she's not the finest, but she comes with the most perks. When Sokka probes further, Han goes on to say that Yue is nice and all, but he's looking forward to the points that I'll gain with the chief the most. Disgusting. Mm-mm. Although, Deplorable. although I hate him, but he's not thinking about being the next chief. He's thinking about getting points with current chief, which is interesting. That is interesting. I did not catch that. When I, That's a good point. When I was writing this, I was like, oh, and then Han wants to be the chief so bad. So this is the only reason why he has to do this. But he never, ever says that. He has no, as of this point, he never states any ambition to be the next chief of the Northern Water Tribe. 
he only wants to gain favor with the current chief. And I don't know why. I wonder if, okay, I'm conflicted because it sounds like he wants to gain favor with the chief so that the chief will, will sign off on him becoming the next chief. But in all my research about the Northern Water Tribes culture, nowhere does it say that it's like an election. It is yeah. a monarchic chiefdom. So yep. it's passed down from parent to child. And in the case of it, of the child being a woman, it needs, she needs to marry right. in order to ascend to the throne. And even then she really doesn't have that much control. Yeah. Being a princess in the Northern Water Tribe during and before the Hundred Year War meant you were kind of an icon. You didn't really do anything, didn't make yeah. decisions, weren't involved in anything. And then you had to marry in order to go into or to take over for your parents. So I'm wondering, I maybe he's just short-sighted. Maybe he's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky now and I get to marry a princess and this is going to give me a chance to like win favor with the chief. Maybe he's just thinking about the chief as being the person to like suck up to and be accepted by. And he's not thinking down the road because the chief is young enough. He's probably going to rule for a while. I, I think I think now that I'm, we're talking about this, I think we're overthinking it. I think Han's probably. just I think Han's just an idiot. I think he's I just am dumb. One hundred percent fine with sticking with that. <laughs> I, I think That's he, our interpretation. I think Han's an idiot. <laughs> you're right. He, like I think he's just like not thinking that far ahead, and he's an idiot for not thinking that far ahead. Because like, yeah. why else are you going to marry the princess if you don't love her? If not to be the chief. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You either are seeking power or you want to rule the tribe because mm -hmm. you have plans for how to make life better mm -hmm. or worse, depending mm -hmm. on your angle. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be focused on anything mm -hmm. like that. He's just like, yeah, man, I'm going to marry a princess and the chief's going to like me. Probably. <laughs> Thumbs up. Uh, okay. So Sokka tells Han that UA is wasted on a self-absorbed weasel like him true when han calls Sokka a simple rube from the southern tribe who doesn't understand smart things like politics except he doesn't either. except he doesn't either which is makes that line <laughs> even more hilarious yes Sokka tackles the poop head to the ground that's my official note i like that han's a poop head to the ground and the two wrestle and pull each other's hair until arnuk breaks up the fight and tells Sokka that he's off the mission you're off the team you can't <laughs> You're off. The, you're you're too much of a wild card. We can't trust you. You're off the team, kid. Except I like how in a later scene we realize he was probably the chief was probably entering this room to tell him he was off the team because yeah. he has a special mission for him to do anyway, which yes. is protect UA. Yeah. So I like the fact that he comes in, and I I think he even comes in like not really phased by the mm -hmm. fact that they're fighting. He's just like Sokka. Okay, stop. You're off the mission. I assume that he has to know that Sokka has feelings for his daughter. Oh yeah, Sokka's obvious. The chief, I think he's a good chief. He probably yeah. has seen. I, yeah, I think he's a good chief. I think he's a good person. And I think he's a good father. Yeah. I think that yes. he's just like Paku. He's just stuck in this way. And he doesn't think there's another way to do this. So I think in all honesty that he wants Sokka to be with his daughter as much as a father would want anyone to be with their daughter. Yeah, or even if it's to the extent like Sokka's a good being, he's going to yep. do good by my daughter so right. I can trust him to protect her right. kind of thing. Yeah. Han puffs himself up and tells the men to fall in and they're going to go take down Admiral Chow. <laughs> he's, he's, oh, I forgot to I forgot to mention this. So he mispronounces Admiral Zhao's name wrong. Yes, he does. He also calls Sokka Soka. Yes, Cho, Admiral Cho, and Soka. <laughs> yeah, he's guy's such an idiot. He's an idiot. I like 
I hate him so much, but I love that he's an idiot. Yeah, me too. Sokka corrects the Dingleberry and tells Han that it's Zhao, <laughs> not Chow or Show or whatever he says. But Han has already left the room. Outside of the Northern Water Tribe, Zuko rows past and navigates his way through the path of ice spikes and manages to use them as cover to get close to the city. He manages to get closer. He notices a group of turtle seals, and I will always in my head call them seal turtles, resting. Because because, because sea turtles. Sea turtles. And you put an L in there. It's just, seal just turtles. So when I start yes. going, and then I stop myself and I say turtle seals, that's why. Yep. So they're resting by like this hole in, in the ground. And one of them plunges into the water and never returns. Zuko notes that since it didn't return, they must be coming up for air somewhere. So this is actually really smart. So he's wearing this like white-ish, bluish, looks like a water tribe, like ninja suit is the best way I can put (laughs) what, what Zuko is wearing. So he pulls down his mask because he would probably get that like waterboarding experience if he didn't take down his mask and dive oh, yeah, into the water. For sure. That's a detail that they didn't have to put into the animation and they did. And I appreciate it. Another small detail is when he jumps in, the hood that's over his head gets blown back yeah. by the current. Yeah. Or the force of the water, which again they didn't have to include that, but it was but nice. Yes. So he gives this deep inhale and he dives into the water. I just love how smart Zuko is. Yes. And how they they show his intelligence in a really approachable easy to understand way he leaves the ship all geared up like you said ninja outfit to blend in with camouflage he has his tools like his his rope and stuff and you can see him navigating through the rocks and the ice very intentionally and then to notice the turtle seals going down into the water it's just you know every step of the way i'm like i'm with you zuko i get it and you're making good decisions and i can see you figuring this out as you're trying to get into the city. And it just continues from there, as we're going to see in a little bit. Yeah. We rejoin Yue, Katara, and Aang as they look on at the nearly full moon. This is called a waxing gibbous or jibbous. I'm not sure if it's a gif or a gif. Well, it's a gif for me, not a gif. (laughs) Is it a gif or a gif? It's a a gif. (laughs) But I don't know if this one is a gibbous or a jibbous. Anyways, so legend has it that the moon was the first waterbender and that the water tribe's ancestors saw how it pushed and pulled the tides and learned how to do it for themselves. This is what Yue tells Katara. And Katara notes that she did notice that her water bending is stronger at night. And Yue tells her that's because their strength comes from the spirit of the moon and their life comes from the spirit of the ocean. The two work together to keep balance. This seems kind of like out of nowhere for me. I like this, but this is the first real bench and that they say like oh yeah by the way i am better at night huh i don't know yeah the the only reason i can i can forgive it is there's so many signs that katara has been training on the way up here that there has probably been times where she's been training at night and had that realization but we weren't we weren't with them as viewers or with her as viewers at the time I can only forgive it because there's been oh, many, many, many other instances of amazing writing that have come before this. I It's just like, I feel like if there was something like that, that's important enough to include us. Yeah. It could also just be a response because, you know, it makes sense to have the lore come in here where they're talking about the strength coming from the spirit of the moon and life coming from the spirit of the ocean and the two living in balance 
because we've kind of touched on the concept of water and moon a couple times leading up to this episode in just brief mentions. And so now it's in elaboration on that concept because we're also about to go into the spirit oasis. Yeah. And so, I mean, Katara's comment, yeah, kind of comes out of left field, but I do feel like it's a, a general just reaction or comment to what UA says. So it's not just UA given a monologue. But I, I also feel like if I, I hope they would reconsider this if they were to ever like do like a, a similar series or something like this, even something yeah. as small as a they're fighting at night. Katara does the water whip and it's just way better than she anticipated. And such a simple of like her being confused or her being like, that's not what I meant to do. Or like her doing two water whips at night and mentioning yeah. something like that, like something very small like that. And then she can't do it again. Until yeah, the next no, that's night. a good point. Um, the waterbending scroll would have been a good episode to have that in because the pirates attack at night, right? Yep, yep exactly. So just something like that. It, they probably had this all fleshed out, I assume, yeah. because it's very intricate. But just something like that would, I think, would have a negated the need for this response, and b it would have felt more natural, and c it would have given us a little bit of a cliffhanger or a little bit of a morsel to hold on to for a while. And that's the yeah. sign of a good show. We don't want too many morsels, but just like one or two is fine. Yeah, I agree. And with all of that being said, mm-hmm. the fact that that's like our nitpick of the show. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It says a lot. Yes. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's, it's so good. Yeah. I, I can be nitpicky with the best of them, but like this, yes. I have to be, I have to really look for it. I feel like with the show sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. UA is a flat princess. Yeah. This lore came out of nowhere. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, okay. everything's great. Yeah, everything. Even Pirate Parker O. Right? Yeah. Be careful with the blasting jelly. (laughs) The spirits. Maybe I can find them and get their help. Katara reminds us, and by us, I mean, she tells Yue that the Avatar is the bridge between the physical and spiritual world, and Aang can talk to the spirits. So Aang got all excited right there. He goes, oh yeah, I forgot about the spirits. I forgot about this other super important thing that I'm supposed to be. UA notes that maybe the spirits can give Aang some wisdom or advice and help them win this battle. And Aang excitedly adds, or maybe they'll unleash a crazy, amazing spirit attack on the Fire Nation. Foreshadowing. Nice. When the two girls seem to stare blankly at Aang, he continues, or, you know, wisdom. That's good, too. (laughs) Since Aang got to the spirit world by accident the first time around, UA has an idea that could help make the journey to the spirit world a bit easier this time. She brings Katara and Aang to the most spiritual place in the North Pole, which is a small grass oasis hidden within the Northern Water Tribe. Aang notes that it's been so long since he's seen grass and rolls around while Katara wonders how it's possible for it to be so warm in this area. Yue informs the group that this is the center of all spiritual energy in their land. You're right, Yue. I can feel something. It's so tranquil. Aang then crosses his legs and positions himself to meditate. Here's a fun fact. Yeah? As we just saw, the Spirit Oasis is this lush garden and pond that's located in a deep cove within the Northern Water Tribe's capital city, uh, conveniently behind a little door, which I thought was funny. But it was created by the moon and ocean spirits. And although the landscape surrounding the pond is perpetually frozen, the spirit oasis itself is warm, verdant, and inviting. It's also the most peaceful and spiritual place in all of the Northern Water Tribe, as Yue just told us, which makes me wonder 
Is there a counterpart in the Southern Water Tribe or the South Pole? I wouldn't think so because uh, it's spoilers for the next episode, but the koi fish because of the koi fish. Yeah, true. Because it was created by the ocean and moon spirits. That's right. true. So there probably isn't. I vaguely remember something about spirit world gateways in the poles from Korra. But again, this yeah, was a very long time that. ago. And I'm not caught up on Korra. So I'm going to table that question. I'm just going to position it, throw it out yeah. there in the universe and yeah. have us come back to it in the future. So Zuko emerges from the ice cold water. And in the middle of a, I don't even know what we call them, a group of turtle seals, a gaggle of turtle seals, of. <laughs> I don't know, a whole bunch of turtle seals. He's gasping for air and he remembers his uncle's advice and uses his fire breath to restore his body temperature. This is something, this is very subtle. This, they don't do like this flashback where Iroh's like, remember your fire breathing. No, it's just like, <laughs> he takes a moment, he's shivering. He's probably like near shock from how cold it is. Yeah. And he's just like, all right, I can warm myself up. Remember this, done. With my fire breath. With my fire breath. You know what helps too? The whole concept of naming in this show, it. The way it combines concepts and names is very just self-defining, like mm -hmm. turtle seal. You know what to expect because you know what turtles are and you know what seals are. Yep. Fire breath. You know what fire is. You know what breath is. So combine the two and you get something that's going to warm your body from the inside out. Same thing with water whip. Same deal. Yes. Sky bison. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's almost like elementary how simple that concept is, but how effective it is. Yes. Elementary, my dear Watson. Mm, yes, indeed. <laughs> so that Zuko then yells at the turtle seals to shut up pretty much. I love that. He goes, quiet. Yes. And then they just stop <laughs> for a couple seconds. And then he shoves them by their heads. <laughs> <laughs> shoves through like, get out of my way. Oh, that's so good. So then, yeah, he, he shoves past the turtle seals and then he goes, he's another opening that's like more up and he kind of crawls up that way. Back at the warrior's base, Arnook informed Sokka that the reason why he told the young warrior to stay behind was for selfish reasons. He then asked Sokka to guard his daughter, Princess Yue, to which Sokka happily agrees. That? Yeah, I can do that. Guard your daughter? Not a problem, pal. Because <laughs> he's got a big old crush on the princess. Zuko continues to make his way through the water. He swims to a small air pocket and inhales deeply and then proceeds to duck his head back under the water, surveying the area. He then sees another channel and swims towards it. He finally makes his way to what he thinks is the surface, only to find out that it's been frozen over. The prince tries to break through the ice with brute force, but is unable to do so. He suddenly exhales. He needs air. He then places his hands on the ice above and heats it up using his hands and melts a hole in the ice. Zuko emerges and catches his breath and takes a moment to relax against the wall of the tunnel. Uh, again, mm -hmm. it shows how talented Zuko is. Yeah. It's so impressive that he was able to climb through that tunnel without drowning mm -hmm. because that was a current of water coming through. You know how hard it is to hold your breath when you don't have your nose plugged? Because mm -hmm. the water can get forced up your nose and then make you choke and then make you die. He's so good. Again, I'm saying this is an animated show, but I'm like <laughs> still impressed. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the Spirit Oasis, Katara explains that Aang is meditating because he is trying to find a way to cross over to the spirit world. When Yue asks if they can help in any way, Aang angrily yells. Angrily. I love that. <laughs> He's pretty much like, how about you two be quiet so I can, you know, concentrate on what I'm doing? <laughs> 
Thanks. Appreciate it. Eng suddenly takes notice of the two koi fish that are shown circling each other in the pond in front of him. One fish is black with a white spot, and the other fish is white with a black spot. Eng is seeming, seemingly... Aang is seemingly mesmerized by the two koi fish circling each other, and he enters the avatar state when the two fish morph into the symbols for yin and yang, which is really cool. A little on so the nose. Cool. A little on the nose, but really cool nonetheless. Yeah. Katara tells Yue that Aang is crossing over into the spirit world, and he should be fine as long as his body stays put, so when he comes back, he can return to it more easily. Yue asks if they should get some help and Katara goes, no, nah, I got this. You know, I can protect my friend. Yeah. Well, aren't you a big girl now? It's like, as soon as she finishes that thought, Zuko's like, well, well, well. <laughs> if it isn't my old friend, the big girl, she's like, great. Zuko's here. This makes me, this makes me regret the thing I just said. I don't know how he found them. You that's ain't let you, that's them another through the door. Thing. Yeah, that's another nitpicky thing I have. UA let them through the door. Uh, next episode, it was a very specific reason why it could be found. Zuko just seems to have happened upon it. Yeah. In my head canon, he saw them go in it from like a distance away and just followed them. That's that's my explanation. Otherwise, I don't know how he found them. I don't know if that lines up though. Well, because they access the door from this but he, like... But he gets out of the water after they've accessed the door. I know. It would be time bendy. Yeah. I feel like... So this is my headcanon. Based off of the clothes that he's wearing, that could have been strategic because it is kind of like water tribe adjacent in terms of coloring and style. So I would just kind of wonder if he was just like put his hood up so no one could see his like blatantly Fire Nation hair and just be like... Hey, have you seen the princess? Hey, have you seen the princess? Hey, have you seen the princess? <laughs> I'm supposed to be. The chief told me that I'm supposed to be protecting her. Have you seen? And then people are just like, yeah, she's over at the secret place that everyone knows about. I think he snuck personally, but how is yeah unknown? It is weird that he got there, but it moves the He's plot along. He's just that so. good. Yes. <laughs> so Zuko makes himself known as he approaches Katara. Hand him over and I won't have to hurt you. Yue flees the scene. Oh no, trouble! <laughs> I just, I just like her the way she's portrayed so much in this episode. I know. So Yue runs away. Katara assumes a defensive stance. Zuko kicks up a leg, sending a fire blast at Katara, and then follows up by immediately sending more blasts by his hands, or more blasts from his hands. Katara conjures up water shields to deflect the attacks, and then draws water from the pond and sends the stream at Zuko who is preparing for another attack. The blast pushes Zuko back several feet and knocks him to the ground. I see you've learned a new trick, but I didn't come this far to lose to you, Zuko says as he picks himself up. Zuko turns around and fires another blast, which Katara blocks. Katara then sends a powerful jet of water at her opponent, which sends Zuko further back than before. When he tries to steady himself, Katara freezes the water at his feet. Katara then waves her arms about wildly, forming a ball of water around him, which she then freezes solid, which is super similar to what Aang was in. Yeah, true. God, words do not do it justice. This is such a tense moment. It is so cool. And just, it's so satisfying to see Katara fighting Zuko with actual water bending. Because mm -hmm. up until now, all their other encounters, it's been like luck and yeah. acrobatics and confusion that's gotten them out of situations. 
And now Katara is facing him as an actual waterbender. And it's so cool. That part specifically before she bends a, a ball of water around him that she freezes. It's such a cool sequence of scenes because it shows her with like the moon behind her in the sky. And then she bends water with these huge sweeping arcs of her arm and then freezes it and then like holds it in place with her hands. And it's like, wow, she's a legit waterbender now. You little peasant, you found your master, haven't you? The ice prison that contains Zuko immediately begins to glow orange as Zuko violently frees himself and the two exchange blows once again, which ends with Katara pinning Zuko against the wall of the oasis with water and then freezing that water on the unconscious prince. He has been defeated. For now. For now. <laughs> we cut to Master Paku, who is watching the horizon as the sun rises and their power falls. It's daybreak at last. Let's write history. Zhao is so corny. He's so corny. I love it. He's so he's just so grandiose. Oh, it's like man. say it simply or say it Zhao. Yeah. It's it's one of those two. Yeah. I really want someone in the background just to be like, nerd. <laughs> Let's rewrite history or let's write history. Okay, nerd. Whatever you say. Like the guy who coughs yeah. at jokes in the background. <laughs> or that would be even better. It's time. Let's write history. <laughs> Zhao states this on the other side of the battlefield. So again, we have this very like pie show like vibe going on where it's opponents on the battlefield. Opponents playing this game together. Paku's on one end, Zhao's on the other. And then on the other end of the other game that Zhao is playing is Iroh. So it's like this multi-battlefield like battlefield, level battlefield going on, which is really cool. Love it. Back at the Oasis, Zuko wakes up and uses the steam of his fire breath. So not even full fire breath. He just like... He just exhales. It's like a very like large exhale. very purposeful. And that melts the ice that was pinning him against the wall. He sends fire blasts at Katara, who attempts to block them but fails to do so this time as she is no longer powered up by the moon. You rise with the moon. I rise with the sun, Zuko tells her, with the avatar in hand. What a good line. So good. Oh, so good. And just like the delivery from Dante Bosco on this line, it's yes. very calm. It's, it's not belittling. It's just like, this is you and this is me. So yep. in, in that case too, really... Zuko was kind of patient on that end. He didn't, he went hard at Katara, but he didn't go full power. Yes. He was biding his time to wait, waiting for the sun to, to really strike. He tried to reach a couple times for Aang, but he knew he, he wasn't going to get anywhere. We watch the battlefield as the Fire Nation Navy breaks through the outer wall and begins their invasion. The Water Tribe can try to resist the inevitable, but their city will fall today, Zhao states as he watches the invasion from his ship. Back at the Oasis, Katara wakes up and realizes that Aang is gone. Yue returns with Sokka and Appa. Sokka asks, where did Zuko go? Katara tells her brother that Zuko took Aang, and Sokka wonders out loud where they could have gone. Apparently, they went up, because Zuko uh, it looks like he scaled that giant wall, and now is on top of the wall that the Oasis was in, and is just like journeying into this frozen tundra as a, as a blizzard picks up. He is determined he will bring the Avatar to his father and restore his honor. So determined he scaled a glacier. Like, so, okay, Zuko. So do you think he just like warmed his hands up and just did like the... Ooh, yes. Like he just like scaled the wall with the Avatar on his back? I love that. Like um, like Captain Marvel. No, not Captain Marvel. Like Wonder Woman. Like when Wonder she was Woman. scaling the tower to get her, her sword and yes. armor. Yep. 
just like that. The yeah, Hulk, just the like Hulk that. Does it too. Except, yeah, mm-hmm. except with fire bending or fire hands, mm-hmm. hot hands <laughs> going into the yes. ice wall. Hot hands, hot hands, Zuko. That's what we're <laughs> going to call him from now on. So, um, did you find any other? That's the end of the episode. The end, by the way. Um, the did, end. did you find any other fun fact or trivia that we didn't get a chance to bring up? Uh, no, I do have some for part two. So if you have any, please share. Okay, so this two-part episode, I do, by the way, this two-part episode uh, is reported to be Michael Dante DiMartino's favorite episodes. I don't know if it's part one or part two is his favorite, but it's definitely okay. one of these. And he always describes it as being like a great way to end the first book. Yeah. The, the We talked about this last episode. The Four Seasons song does play out through the episode in various ways. There are some very obvious ones when Sokka and Yue are together and it plays like on, um, I don't know, a stringed instrument of some kind. Yeah. I found, and again, this could just be me being crazy and like recognizing patterns where they're not, not actually there. But when I said the drums of war... That was in rhythm with the Four Seasons song. Oh, after seeing the star map from the last episode, mm-hmm. I would not put it past them. Yeah. To be that intentional with the music. And I, th- I don't remember if we talked about this or not, but Yue, which is the name of Princess Yue, is the Chinese word for moon. Oh. So. I have something related to that for part two. So. Okay. So stay tuned. We'll revisit that shortly. You'll have to wait a whole week to listen to that one, but I think you'll make it. Casting. One casting bit. This is all returning actors reprising their roles, except for Han, who is the new guy, right? Everyone loves Han. No, no one likes Han. He's voiced by Ben Diskin, who has done voices for the Kingdom Hearts series as a young Xehanort. He was in Naruto as Sai. He was also in Star Wars Clone Wars as uh, AZI-3 and WAC-47. And you're going to like this note. He was Eugene Horowitz in Hey Arnold. Eugene! He's Eugene. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. He's done way more than that. But those are like the top roles that I recognize and also had the most credited episodes that I noticed. Yeah. So. Okay. And also Star Wars because I always have to talk about Star Wars. Yeah. Because duh. Because duh. Yeah. All right. So now we're through the episode. I got to know. Who's your MVP? It's got to be Zuko. Yeah. Just because like, you know, Aang's doing his Avatar thing. He's, you know, been doing this before. Katara's becoming a master waterbender. Good for her. Her last episode was amazing. Mm-hmm. UA is UA. Sokka's like kind of sort of there. He has his Sokka moments. But then man, Zuko, Zuko is just kicking butt. Yeah. He successfully got past Zhao infiltrated the the northern water tribe when all the other firebenders are having a tough time of it finds the avatar steals the avatar and gets away with it like yeah it's it's just he has so many great moments in this episode and i'm just gonna fangirl about zuko right now so you Mm -hmm. know deal with it everyone yes you'll have to my favorite character my mvp is han no way. I'm just Take kidding. that back right now. This, that guy sucks. <laughs> He's the worst. Uh, I, I think my MVP, we're, we're going to go a little less grandiose than yours. I'm okay. going to say that my MVP for this episode is actually Master Paku because okay. he very quickly, for an old man, got over his prejudices against 
Katara and teaching her. And actually, like, if you if you want to admit, you want to talk about like people stuck in their ways and how difficult it is for them to admit not only when they've been wrong, but to praise that they've been wrong and accept it. It's, that can be very difficult to do. That's why change takes a long time to happen. It's because people get stuck in their ways and they don't want to admit that. Yeah. Over the course of if we're going on the higher end of the estimation, three weeks, he has not only learned that he should be teaching Katara, but has praised her as like this great pupil and that she can do anything she sets her mind to. And that he never says this explicitly, but he said he pretty much says that like, you're probably the best student I've ever had. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot for someone to, to overcome. Admit. Yeah. Especially a crotchety old man like yeah. who, like you said, has been stuck in his ways for so many years, ever since Kana left him. Yeah. So I don't know if, if the fact that Grand Grand's grandkids kind of helped and got him stuck out of that, or if it's just an evolution, but it's an evolution that happens nonetheless. And I feel like it's very easy for that to get lost in this episode with everything else that is going on. Yeah. So I just want to put kind Fair of props point. or props to change happened to an old man's life. And even though it's a smaller scale, also Zhao, because he's absolutely amazing in this episode with his just like, <laughs> yes, Fair. my big evil plan is coming into fruition. Oh, don't worry about that moon. I have a plan for that. Or is that next episode? I forget. He mentions it in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it's a brief mention. Don't worry about that thing. I got plans. I, I love it. I Joe love it. is so good at being bad. Yeah. He's not even like, like he's evil and he's bad and he's pretty one dimensional, but he's not super toxic, which is interesting. I appreciate that. Yeah. I just kind of put that together. He's never really hated someone for being different than him. I think he just hates people for being in his way. Yeah, exactly. All right. So moral of the episode. Choose love, not war. I feel like you seem very sure of yourself with that I answer. <laughs> I don't know. It's tough being part one of a two part story. So yeah. let me if I can, let me hear what your moral of the story is. What would you pick? I think my moral of the story is that patience is a virtue. There okay. are multiple times in this episode where characters are being patient. And it kind of pans out for him. Yeah, it pays off. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still going to ch- stick with my choose love, not war. Okay. We'll just both have old sayings as our, yeah. <laughs> as our morals. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. All right. And with all of that being said, I think that's, that's just going to be it for this week for us. So you'll have to wait one whole week until you'll be able to hear our thoughts on part two. Are you are you doing a Greg right now, Greg? I don't know what I'm talking about. I just want to go ahead and take a moment to thank everyone for continuing to follow us through this wonderful journey that we've been on through Avatar The Last Airbender and all of the love and support that has really been shown throughout the past 19 episodes. I think oh my gosh, we have 18 crazy. or 18. I don't even remember how many episode numbers we have. It's so many at this point, but it's crazy. We've gotten so many wonderful five-star written reviews over on Apple Podcasts. We've gotten so much ang mail from people who don't listen on Apple Podcasts, but do listen on Spotify or another medium that they just have just decided to be like, hey, I, I like your show. I love your show. These are my thoughts on the things. Greg, you're right or wrong, you know, whichever. <laughs> I don't care as long as they're, they're talking to us. And the wonderful people who've been tweeting at us over at Podcast Avatar. Yes. And another shout out to Wish I Might, who won this week's Oppa Pin giveaway. And remember, if you're caught up on all the episodes and want to hang out with me a little bit more, you can always do so over at twitch.tv slash Greg. 
every Monday and Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I'm Acorn. You can find me on Twitter at Acorn Bandit and online at JoySons.com, where I create enamel pins. Mm-hmm. Coming I feel like up I've next. talked about dark enough, so you know yeah. I'm on dark the podcast. That's another thing I do. I'm really excited about it. It's great. Check it out if you'd like. But otherwise, that's where you can find. Otherwise, that's where you can find me online. Yeah, and also you can find both of us occasionally over at Twitch.tv/slash/TheGeekGeneration whenever yes. we, we're doing an indie showcase. So those are always a lot of fun. So you can even interact with Acorn live, and then this you get is to true. See, you get to see my like snide comments in the chat that I like to do. With emotes. Lots of emotes. I love the emotes. (laughs) Coming up next time. In a whole week from now. One whole week from now. One whole week. One whole week. Zhao's deep spirit fishing expedition. And Aang's poker face. All this and more next time on Avatar Avatar, the the podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.